Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This programme was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hello and welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life, the programme that takes wellbeing research off the page and into our lives. Today we're talking about how engagement and meaning link to wellbeing. In particular, how we can turn learning on its head to make it more interesting and meaningful for students. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan. Today I'm talking to educator and facilitator Rowan Teigel about how she turned the curriculum upside down, focusing first on the problems students wanted to solve and then looking at the skills they were using to do that and the credits they were earning in different learning areas. Rowan has over 16 years experience in education as a classroom teacher, head of department and more recently as a deputy principal. She specialises in engagement and well-being of students and staff. Rowan has created very successful problem-based learning courses in her previous school and teaches other educators how to do the same. Kia ora, Rowan, and welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life. Kia ora, Denise. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you here. So, Rowan, to get us started, tell us what, for those of us who are feeling, you know, a little on the edge on the outside here, tell us what problem-based learning is and why it's such a buzzword right now. Um, Well, problem-based learning is learning that's more structured around a problem which students want to design a solution to. And then the uh, learning objectives and the curriculum that the teacher also wants the students to learn is aligned to the problem that the students are. hoping to solve. Um, And I think it's a real buzz word at the moment because, you know, teachers and educators are really becoming a lot more focused on authentic, relevant student learning and students having more ownership and agency around their learning. And problem-based learning is an excellent vehicle for teaching and learning programs like that. So it really does flip things upside down, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. I I mean, You know, traditionally, teachers are the ones who walk into the classroom and decide what's going to be learned and how it's going to be learned. And this way, students have a lot more ownership and often there's co-construction or full construction by the students around this um, style of learning. It's like, so what do you care about? What are the problems that keep you awake at night? What would you, what change would you like to make in the world? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And having that ability to feel contribution towards, um, you know, a step towards solving a problem that others experience, you know, really provides a lot of meaning for Mm. students. Yeah. Oh, and I can see why, you know, when you say how, my next question is, how does this relate to engagement and well-being? Um, And I can see how that would be huge for students. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the that sense of um, being able to contribute beyond themselves to um, the, the community where they can see that they're having an impact and uh, making a difference in other people's lives is so incredibly rewarding mm-hmm. that, that, again, as we know, really contributes to a person's well-being, knowing that you're making a difference and that you're contributing. And I guess even stepping back a step, before they get to the outcome of doing something useful, and gosh, to be of use is so 
powerful, isn't it, as a as a component of well-being. But even before then, the engagement piece. Mm. I mean, we've been looking at the research around boredom in schools, and it runs at more than 25% of students in one Danish study said they were bored most of the time in school. And the bit that really got me was when one of the researchers said, um, if we're hoping to create lifelong learners, how are we doing if we're switching them off at school? Exactly. Yeah. And so, and so do you, and so I presume starting with what do you care about? What are the problems you really are interested in solving? You've already got their attention. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, from there, once that, that's the engagement point right at the very start, then it's up to them as to whether or not they maintain their engagement or not. And in my experience, I've found that once they have that purpose for their learning, um, then there's no stopping them. The engagement is always there. And, you know, one of the things that I found most rewarding in the previous year that I was doing this with a school was students saying to me, this is the reason I come to school, doing this subject, mm. um, you know, and learning in this class. And for, you know, those students, you know, a couple of those students had huge attendance issues uh, in years prior to that. And, you know, this was the thing that was keeping them at school. And, you know, some of those students gained credits at a level that they had not gained them at before as well. So not just doing the bare minimum, but going beyond the bare minimum that they used to do. And that was just a pleasure to see. Yeah. And so I guess that the next part of that question was around, and is there a link to well-being? You said yes, clearly there's a link to well-being for students. But how about staff? I imagine oh. it's quite exciting as a teacher. It is exciting. I mean, to begin with, Changing the way that I was teaching was scary. It yeah. felt like a risk. And, um, you know, and I know that people were very interested to see how it would go. And I was very interested to see how it would interested go. Interested slash terrified slash excited slash all of those words. All of it. All yeah. of it. Um, it was very emotional <laughs> in many yeah. ways. Um, but, you know, I knew the theory. I knew that other schools were doing this in various forms in other places, so it wasn't like I was the pioneer right at the very beginning. You know, I was the pioneer in my context, but I knew that it was successful in other places. Good people so, in other places yeah, were making it work. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, and I was in touch with those people. I knew that I could contact them, and that's the great thing about teaching and learning these days is your online communities are right at, you know, your, your fingertips. So I didn't feel alone, um, and so... But And I knew that in my heart of hearts this was the right way to go because this is what students had been asking for. And I, you know, the previous year before I started this, I was experiencing students who were worried about uh, getting the right answer and doing things the right way and wanted to do things just like the exemplar. And we all know that, um, you know, in life things aren't always, you know, they don't always turn out like an excellence exemplar. And mm. uh, it's really important that, you know, if we're, you know, following our moral compass as teachers, then we're not just here to deliver curriculum, but to develop lifelong learners and learners who are able to respond to challenges uh, in everyday life. And so, 
you know, this was the course that I wanted to run to enable students to develop those essential skills or 21st century skills. And I love this. I love the idea of tw- these are, this is a really great way to build 21st century skills. And as you're talking, I'm just getting so excited thinking, wow, it's not just a way of building engagement and deepening learning, but it also helps you undercut anxiety, perfectionism and that kind of single track, right or wrong. Absolutely. In the first, we spent our whole first term uh, getting to know each other, building relationships, talking about how we were going to learn and how this was going to be different and coming to terms with that and exploring uh, what that would mean for them, what that would mean for me, what I would be doing for them, what I wouldn't be doing for them, what they would need to be doing for themselves and making that all really explicitly clear and practicing doing some of those things before we sort of got into things for real. But one of those uh, things that we covered was that we were going to be taking what felt like risks uh, to us um, and that we were going to be failing almost daily, hourly Uh even, uh, and that we would openly acknowledge those and celebrate those moments because, uh, as that saying goes, fail means first attempt in learning. Mm. So we were just going to, you know, celebrate those moments. In fact, we often all stood up and gave a whole class high five uh, <laughs> in a circle when someone did oh, an epic nice. fail because, um, you know, well done for trying. Yeah. And we ended up actually even not really using the word failure after the after a while. Our favourite word of the year was pivot. Oh, I'm going to need to pivot now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it's a pivot moment. Okay. <laughs> nice, yeah. nice. I love it. I remember learning to windsurf and thinking at one point, so how many falling off the board will I need to do before I'm able to do this? And then every time I fell off, I'd go, well, I'm one closer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Was, yeah, as a way of I'm moving towards something. Yeah. So Rowan, tell us a bit more about you and your classroom and and how this all, you know, how this all played out. What does it look like in practice? So I'm intrigued, I, you know, by the idea that you spent the first term setting up the relationships and the expectations. Tell mm. us a bit more about that and then how the students actually got into selecting what they wanted. Yeah, well, that first term we spent time exploring their strengths. So we did the VIA strengths assessment uh, and that was really rewarding for the students. Um, And we also did a values assessment too. So the students sat down and decided what was important to them. Um, So what values were really fundamental to their way of moving through life and um, when you align your strengths up with your values and then you know think about what you're passionate about or um, finding your purpose then you know the four components I think are the most fundamental to a successful PBL program are strengths, values, passion and purpose and once you've got those four corners of your foundation, I think you're really well set to, um, you know, having a really strong base for your project and your problem that you're going to solve. Nice. Because I can imagine otherwise it would be sort of like, you know, if you came in day one and are right, what problem do you want to solve? <laughs> There'd be a lot of shrugging and I don't know. Oh, absolutely. Know. Yeah, that, that wasn't my first question day one, I have to admit. Um, 
And, but That's why one you were the, teaching and not me. <laughs> one of the things I was actually worried about, and I did have, you know, the odd sleepless night to begin with, um, because I was, one of my biggest fears before I started the program was that I would become the project manager for 14 individual projects. And yeah, yeah, and that just made me start to sweat immediately. And I did not want that to happen. And I basically said exactly that to my students. I can't be the project manager for 14 individual projects. And the the thing that I suspected that would keep students motivated and on point and on track, because that was the other thing I was worried about, how on earth am I meant to know where everyone's at at any given moment with so many different things going on? What was I going to do? And I thought the key thing that needed to be in place to make sure that students didn't flag or lose motivational momentum was being really clear on their purpose and being passionate about it. And I felt that if those things aligned to their strengths, that they got to utilise their strengths and that they were aligned to their values and what was important to them, then I figured that that would be enough to, you know, if they started to wobble or get the speed bumps, that we could go, hang on, why are you doing this again? What's your purpose What are you passionate about? Are you still utilising your strengths to do this? Then it kind of reset things and people were able to take off at a high speed again. That's beautiful. Mm. And I love, I think of it as kind of, um, it's much easier to think of what I might want to do when I have put in the pot my values, my strengths, my sense of purpose. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, when I checked in with the students. I mean, I did that very regularly, but at the end of the year when we reflected on the program as a whole, uh, they said to me that that time we spent in term one, which initially I was a little concerned that I was spending far too much time uh, getting to know each other and our strengths and spending all this time looking inward. Uh, You know, I was a bit worried that I was spending too much time doing that, but they said it was the best part of the whole course and that they absolutely loved it. It was invaluable and it did actually... Um, you know, I I guess it was slowing down to speed up. So we slowed down, focused on that stuff, made sure we knew what it was so that then they just took off after that once they had decided what they were passionate about. And I guess as you're saying it, I'm thinking um, that they really are some of the 21st century skills those students take Mm. away because now every single project they come to they're able to think about it in terms of what strengths do mm. I bring to it and what are my values here? Yeah. And what's my what's my sense of purpose? And that's that's really powerful stuff. Absolutely. I mean all the employers that we spoke to along the way, I mean the students, you know, were fortunate enough to get out there and meet a whole number of movers and shakers in our community. And all of those people said, you know, it's great if people turn up with an excellence endorsement and this or that, but when you've got 20 people with the same qualifications and their CVs lined up in front of you, how do you make the choice between those candidates and it's the ones who have the ability to collaborate who are innovative creative have excellent interpersonal skills can manage their own projects are willing to take risks are willing to uh, you know push boundaries and try things and be self-motivated that's the point of difference Mm. that's who's going to be hired and they're the they're the students who have 
picked themselves up off the ground, mm. performed a beautiful pivot, found another way forward. Yeah. And that's and that's the skill we're having to use every day in the workplace. Absolutely. It? It's real life. Yeah. So so after you had spent this time getting to know each other and the students getting to know themselves and their passions. How did you decide on the projects? Uh, we spent a day at, or two days really, at the Otago Polytech with Ray O'Brien doing their Change Jam programme. Uh, and basically that involved exploring the United Nations Sustainability Goals. And uh, when you think about it, each of those goals really will align in one way or another. Everyone can connect to at least one of those. That's lovely. You know? Yeah, and immediately when you break down the, you know, and these are huge goals, obviously, you know, wicked problems, things like that, you know. Yeah. But uh, if everyone can connect to at least one of those. And when you downsize or you downscale those, you know, there is something in there that everyone can do to take a step towards contributing to, um, you know, making your mark towards one of those goals. Yeah. And were the students excited by the change, Jan? Yeah, they were. And it was great for them again. You know, we took every opportunity we could to go off-site um, and away from the school grounds and uh, allow them to experience working in different environments and working with different people and seeing all the different ways to reach, uh, you know, a, a, or pathways to reach a solution rather mm -hmm. than just there being one right way to do things um, and having worked in a girls secondary school I know that that's something that stereotypically often girls struggle with uh, is the desire to do things the right way or perfectly um, and, and please people and get the right answer mm. um, often you know as women we're also taught to, to please others and mm. uh, you know this was something that the girls uh, struggled with to begin with was that no one was going to provide them the answer on a silver platter and that they had to, you know, it was all right to come up with six different ways to get there. And, uh, and even, you got to decide which one's going to be the one you want to use. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that if the first one didn't work, they had five other Backup plans. Backups, yeah. Plan BCD, yeah. 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 Lovely. And what work can you remember? I'm sure you can. Some of the some of the projects that stand out for you from that year. Sure. Uh, one lofty goal was to end racism. Excellent. So we're starting, you know, let's start aspirational, you know, uh, aim high. Yeah. So the 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 one where the, the two girls working in partnership, their goal was to combat racism. And so, again, that's um, part of one of the UN sustainability goals and contributes to uh, a number of challenges experienced by people. You know, it's a root cause of many um, forms of challenge and suffering. And so when we downscale that, um, maybe they might not be able to make an impact globally, but you can think nationally, locally, in your community, in your school or in your classroom. You know, you can zero yeah. right down yeah. to. Uh, so these girls came up with a social media campaign called hashtag what's the story. You can find that on Instagram. Uh, and the premise of that campaign was that people could write in anonymously about um 
experiences they'd had with racism and uh, talk about the positive responses or sort of comebacks that you could take towards, um, you know, acts of racism towards you. Uh, the hashtag got quite a following in our school community and Marvelous. it became a way to call people out if they were being uh, judgmental or discriminatory. So it, it became even wider than racism and it was a you know hashtag to use against all forms of discrimination. So just saying hashtag what's the story to someone you know, what's the story with your behaviour? They created yeah. shared language yeah. to get yeah. people to stop and hold mm. a mirror up. That's powerful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was great. Um, and you know, to you know, pivot. Um, another example was a student who was trying to help young people to become more active because we've all become rather sedentary in our modern day lives and so she had designed an app to help people become a lot more active and so it's a combination of sort of a Pokemon Go style thing where you go around and collect tokens but also it was locally focused around Dunedin tourist attractions. So to encourage people to visit different parts of the city and area where they had, might not have been before, but by walking, running, cycling. So, uh, and yeah, and she, um, I've, I believe, has actually launched that in the App Store now. So there you go. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And what a good plan. Like, we often don't go to the tourist attractions in our own cities because we assume we'll go there one day when we have to take someone or whatever. How cool is that? Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, moving through to think about the end part of it, um, how is it, was it more challenging for teachers to use PBL? And I'm thinking about, you know, assessing how a student has done on the problem-based learning and working out what credits they get. How was that? Sure. Well, first of all, we had to have a conversation around, uh, you know, with the, I had a, had a conversation with the principal around what the purpose of the course was and what our aim for running the course was. And we agreed that the most important thing to us was developing those essential skills or 21st century century skills. skills, And so that meant that we decided that it was going to be a fully internally assessed course uh, because there would be so many different projects happening that students wouldn't be necessarily doing a program that would involve an external exam. Mm -hmm. So they wouldn't be aiming for a subject endorsement because they'd be doing a variety of credits from a variety of different subjects. But uh, they would be able to accrue a number of credits for their overall level two or level three bucket, if you like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, towards a level two or three overall endorsement. So when they when you say they got credits for like level two or level three, how do you assign, this is a very ignorant question, how do they assign those credits if they're not part of a subject curriculum? Um, so what happens is, for example, with the girls who were doing the racism problem, yeah. we researched what might align well with their project. So once they decided what it was they wanted to do and achieve, then there are a number of uh, different internal assessments that we could line up to that to give them about um 14 to 18 level two credits. So there was an English internal that they could do. There was a media studies one. There was a social studies one. And so we just um, 
assigned those to them. You can assign uh, internal assessment standards to a student from any subject. So so the teachers really are doing the heavy lifting of going, I know where there's a credit for that that you could use and Um, and pulling it back in. There was a little bit of that. I had done some preparation before the course started by just researching some uh, generic uh, standards that I thought would be useful yeah. across the board to most students and could go across the board. But to be honest, it was up to the students, and I made this again very clear to them at the start of the year, that I couldn't be doing this for every single student and that they needed to design Brilliant. themselves their own uh, course and they had to decide what they thought was a fair workload. Um, they had It was very clear between them and their parents and me that this was not a, a subject that they were going, you know, like English where all the internal assessments and externals were all English and they could come out with an excellence endorsement in English. However, uh, they could get excellence for each of the internals that they yeah. did. Um, and again, that the purpose of the course wasn't necessarily to get a huge number it wasn't of credits. credit farming. No, it, it, was, was, learning. it was learning. Yeah. And you know what? Um, that was one of the major concerns that a number of other teachers had, that, you know, what would parents think about this? And I tell you what, parents were just over the moon about it. What did they love? They loved that their kids were coming home excited about what they're learning, talking about all the different things that they're learning, all the things that they had to figure out for themselves and how they managed to do that. Uh, And you know what? Um, One of the greatest things, not one of the greatest things, but one of the perks of well-being for me was that I didn't write a single student report that year. The students wrote their own. Oh, lovely. Again, I said you know, at this point, you should be able to, if you are doing all the learning and you are designing your own course, then you should be able to write about that. And also you should be able to report to your parents around what you've learned, what your strengths are, what your next steps are, what you yet have to learn. And uh, the, the reports that they wrote were actually probably about three times longer than any teacher reports no. I've written. We had to edit them because they uh, they were just so excited to, you know, record their record of learning and, and the progress that they'd made. This is so cool because what I'm saying is the students loved it. They were excited, engaged and developed really important skills for life. You as the teacher are radiant describing it. You love teaching it. Mm. And the parents loved it. Yeah. You know, it's it's a kind of win win win, and I guess so. The the question that's in my head then is: so this worked with level twos, level twos and threes mm. NCA. What age group do you think you could start doing it with? Oh, every age group. It's um, perfectly scalable, and you know you can be as hands on or off as you feel the need to be, yeah. and you know with your primary school age kids you know you can scaffold a lot with them you can work as a whole class team as opposed to individual or paired projects you can work in groups of five I mean you could have uh, people from the community join up with each team I mean there's so many different ways you could do it and it's just about deciding what's the purpose what is the reason for you to to learn in this way first and once you've got that clear in your head then you know it's just about building around those supports and you know as we say with a lot of well-being work if 
if it's causing you too much stress, yeah. <laughs> uh, but then it's actually not contributing slow to down. your well-being. Yeah. yeah, and slow down and yeah. think, you know, how there must be an easier way. How can we make, yeah. you know, it doesn't Maybe have to be smaller scale. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that. Oh, Rowan, we wish you well with taking this work out to the community. And I'm sure there'll be teachers all over the country and beyond interested in learning this. So to finish, can I ask you two questions about for you personally? And the first one is, if you could only do one thing for the rest of your life to support well-being in others, what would it be? Uh, I think it would be supporting people to discover their strengths and their passions and aligning those uh, to give them purpose in their work. Mm. I absolutely love doing that, yeah. Seeing people. It's that fuel in the engine, isn't oh, it? Oh, absolutely. on fire yeah. with excitement. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. And for you personally, what's your go-to strategy when you get frustrated or down? Um, I love going for a walk. And listening to a podcast, often at the same time. Um, or uh, I love listening to actually The Guilty Feminist. It's a fantastic, fantastic podcast. So I listen to that while I cook tea um, and, yeah, go for a walk. And nothing wrong with a spot of Netflix. <laughs> Excellent. <Yeah. laughs> I'm going to go now and listen to the guilty, <laughs> the guilty Feminist. It's a good one. Rowan, thank you very much. It's been fantastic and I have learned so much today. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. Oh, thanks for having me. You've been listening to Bringing Wellbeing to Life on ORFM Dunedin. If you'd like to learn more, our book, The Educator's Guide to Whole School Wellbeing, is available from nziwr.co.nz from early 2020. You can also listen to a podcast of this show on oar.org.nz, on nziwr.co.nz, and you can also subscribe to Apple Podcasts. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan. Thank you for listening. To learn more about the latest research and practice in school well-being, join us at the Wellbeing in Education Conference in Christchurch from the 2nd to the 4th of April and Auckland from the 6th to the 7th of April 2020. For more information, go to nziwr.co.nz or conference.co.nz forward slash wenz20. Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.